opportunity. If you've got your Bible today, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6. I'm covering the first 14 verses, which is a lot. So, you may have to do some reading on your own, but I'm going to start you off so that you have somewhere to start with. And it says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. All right, stop right there. You can mark it. You can put your finger there. Okay, so here's the question. If grace is free, and God's going to erase my sin anyway, why shouldn't I continue to sin? Isn't that just the easier way to go? I mean, think about it. You're a sin nature. You're sinful by your very humanity. So why shouldn't I just live however I want and then just trust that God is nice at the end? And Paul is saying, no, don't live your life like that. That's not what you've been freed from. That's not what he sacrificed for. Just as he died and was resurrected, he did that so that you, as an individual, can have freedom from that sin. And so here's the beauty of it. Nowhere does he say only certain people get it. And there are some people who have a hard time with that because they don't want really bad people to possibly be in heaven with them. And yet Paul is saying, you're all sinners, but you don't have to continue to live your life the same. Paul desires holiness. Grace is free. You get it because of his sacrifice, because of his crucifixion and resurrection. You get that grace. However, once we become followers of him, we can choose to be dead to that sin. We don't have to live the same way we did. We have hope and we have freedom. Too many of us, we want to hold on to the, I'm just glad that grace is free because I'm going to keep sinning. And I told you a couple weeks ago, you'll never be fully beyond the point where you don't sin anymore. However, the same sin that ensnares you today doesn't have to be the sin that ensnares you tomorrow and next year and next month. We can be free from that, and it's true, you still have that sinful nature. You're still going to go back to that. It tells us in Proverbs, just as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to his folly, so does a sin to his sinner. You're going to keep going back. However, it doesn't have to be the same sin over and over and over, and you can grow and you can move beyond. And the beauty is, I've said it many times, and I'll continue to say it, but God takes you exactly as you are, but he loves you too much to want you to stay that way. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, he wants you to change. He wants you to become not somebody you're not, but somebody that you were always created to be. You were created to be in the very image of God, which means if we're created in the image of God and God's image is perfect and holy, we were created to be perfect and holy, but we live in a broken world, so you won't get there in this lifetime. But we continue to press forward. We continue to reach for that, because that's the beauty of what God has for us. Now, too often times it becomes this thing where I'm caught up in something. It's an addiction. It's a cycle. It's something I can't beat. It's a battle within me. And yet he looks and he says, you can even be free from that. Because the old nature is gone. Let's go ahead and read on. Starting at verse 5, it says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, in other words, if we are really in his likeness, right? Right? 
I just mentioned that. Certainly, we are also to be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if we were like him before in our sinful nature, you know, then we're free from that through his resurrection. Not in ours, but in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. All right, so the old nature is gone, and I'm no longer a slave to the sins that I once was. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means my sin doesn't hold me captive anymore. One of the things that was discovered about slavery in this country is even after the slaves were freed, they didn't know where to go or what to do next. We freed the slaves, but just freeing them didn't give them a place to live. And so we struggled with this identity crisis in our nation for the last 500 years because we have a group that was pro-slavery and a group that was against slavery. So finally, as a country, we come to our senses and say, this isn't right, you can't hold another human. But we, didn't, we said you're free, but we didn't do anything to enable and equip them. What he's saying is, you were a slave to sin, but you don't have to be bound by that slavery anymore. That's the difference, is in Christ, we don't have to be the same way we were. It doesn't matter how people see us. It doesn't matter if people still see me as a slave to sin. I know I'm free, and in that freedom, I can walk and do whatever I choose to do. Nothing has to hold me back. Nothing has to hold me down. And too often times, we want to say, I'm free, but in that freedom, I don't ever actually exercise or do anything with it. So what good is that freedom? It's the same thing that Viktor Frankl wrote about in Man's Search for Meaning. They open the doors of the concentration camps, they free the people, and the people don't know what to do, and they literally stay there. And under cover of darkness, they send out the first people to see if it's true, the first brave souls that are going to find out if they can really leave. They leave, and then they come back. And then the next day, it says most of the people begin to leave, but at night, they walk right back into the very concentration camp because they don't know what to do with their freedom. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to live being freed. So we put ourselves right back in that prison. Now the difference is, they're all taken to a foreign country and a foreign land and they don't know what to do. But us, we live in the same world and we don't know what to do with the freedom we've been given. So I just continue to go back to the same old habits and the same old patterns and the same old stuff because it's easier. It's more comfortable. It's what I know. It takes effort to move forward. Not simply faith, but a change of my practice. It's easy to say I have faith and I'm forgiven and God's got a plan for me but I have to change my practice. I have to learn spiritual discipline in my life if I want to change what I've always been doing. Because if I don't, I'm just going to be in this cycle where, okay, I feel bad, I repent, I'm clean, but now what do I do? And so I haven't changed anything about the way I lived, and I'm going to get the exact same results over and over and over. It's not simply faith, but it's a change of practice. It's putting spiritual disciplines in my life. It's learning to engage in his word. It's learning to read and to pray and to do those things. And people say all the time, well, isn't prayer just a natural conversation with God? Yes, but you still have to do it. You still have to engage in it. You still have to go out there. Um, when we begin to change our patterns, we'll begin to see different results. It's the old definition of insanity. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. It's me on my 
my yo-yo weight because if you watch me every fall, I lose about 20, 25 pounds because I start getting ready for my November trip. And then as soon as that trip's done, Thanksgiving hits and then Christmas and then I gain my weight back. And then I get to about now and I go, oh man, I got to start doing something because I got to lose 20 pounds because I'm 20 pounds overweight. And then I do it again. And some of you are like, wait, don't you do that every year? Yes, every year for the last 20 years, I've followed the same cycle that I lose the weight and I get back down to where I'm really comfortable and then I stop losing the weight and then it becomes easier to not go and work out today because I'm really busy and I'm really tired and I've overbooked myself and I've overcommitted and so I'll just not do it today. I'll just not do it today. I had over 400 days of doing 10,000 steps a day and I lost my little counter and it became so easy to go. I'll just get back on it when I get a new counter. People say, you, you're really obsessive about learning Spanish, aren't you? I've got 441 days consecutive of working on Spanish. Do you know why I have to have 442? Because if I don't hit day number 442, I'll have 311 days before I think about Spanish again, because it'll be two months before my next trip before I even think about it again. I've got to do this. I've got to develop these things if I want to change, I have to put in the time, the effort, and the work, or I'm never going to change. And yet, I keep going back to the same patterns of sin because I go back to the same escape methods. I go back to the same routines. I go back to the same place where it just feels good and it feels safe and it feels okay. I was talking with Mike Johnson one day. Um, Mike runs the He's now at Union, uh, Yakima Union Gospel Mission, but he used to run the Tacoma Rescue Mission. And we were talking about like, how people view, like, what is the goal of getting somebody that's a homeless drug addict? He goes, the problem is too many people see it as, oh, they're, we can count it as a success when they're living the American dream and have a nine-to-five job and they buy a house. And he goes, some of these people were never equipped from childhood to do that. He goes, some of them, the best thing we can ever do is just get them sober and let them live here and have them one day a week, they are the one who picks up the trash and takes it out, and that's an accomplishment. He goes, the problem is, the people that fund it, they don't see that as an accomplishment. They want to see him living the American dream. He goes, I just want to see people not bound by the same things they were. He goes, they're not given the skills, they're not equipped, they're not capable. Too many of us believe that's us too. But what I'm here to tell you today is, if we change the way, we may never be the next Billy Graham or whoever you view as a spiritual superstar. But you know what you can be? You can be better tomorrow than you are today. With discipline and putting in that effort and putting in that work. And that's not a, oh, we can defeat sin by sheer willpower. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying we can overcome the sin that so easily ensnares us by changing how I do things. Do you see the simple but subtle difference there? If I'm willing to put in the work and the effort and the time, I can move forward in who God created me to be. So what does this mean to me today? Well, number one, sin will still exist in your life, but you keep fighting the battle. Just because it's there doesn't mean you quit. Just because you lose a game doesn't mean you stop playing tomorrow. I have a friend who just stopped playing professional baseball. And when we had lunch this week, we were talking about it. I said, so what, what, what do you do now? What's your next thing? And he said, I don't know. He said, but I think I'm going to go into this. And I said, why? And he goes, because it's competitive. And he goes, I got to win. I was like, okay. That's an interesting perspective on, 
you know, on your next career field. His last game was a loss. And he said that's his only regret about all of baseball, is his last game was a loss. And he doesn't want to lose. He wants to win every time. And I reminded him, you're good enough, and you're acceptable enough, and you don't have to do anything to be more accepted by God or to be loved by me. He said, I appreciate that. He said, but I still got to win. And I said, okay, fair enough. Sin will still exist in your life. You have to keep battling. You're not better than somebody else simply because your sin is different. Some of us want to say, well, I'm not as bad as blank, and that's our standard by which we want to live. So as long as I don't do that, as long as whatever it is in your mind is the uncrossable line, as long as I don't cross that line, I'm still better than them. And that's not how God would see it. God would say, all grace is equal. There's hope for all. There's salvation for all. And when you think you're better than, you're not. Your sin is just different. Sin will still exist in your life, but you're still a child of God. You're a former slave. You're not controlled by what we once were. I'm not controlled by what I once was. Now, if we with Christ believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. In other words, your sin is paid for, and you now have the freedom to live in who you are in Christ. Stop saying, but I can't because of what I did. I can't because of my past. I can't because of my history. He looks and he says, I don't care about that. You're free from that because the very death that he had to sin offers you life in him. And that life is not just this life here on earth, which he desires for it to be full and to be full of joy, but he, he promises something more. And oftentimes, I, I don't like to talk about the more, not because I don't believe in the afterlife, but here's why I don't like to talk about the more. Because he didn't die just to get us out of hell. He died so that we could have a relationship with God. And when our focus is on, well, I don't want to go to hell, and so I'll only do this and this and this, and I won't do really bad things, and I won't, then we're losing the very purpose of which he came for us, which is to have life and to have it freely and to have it abundantly. Not just to grasp and be a white knuckle grasping at these things that go, I can do this, I can beat sin today. Release it and say, I can live in him and walk freely with him. And sin will not defeat me. Sin will not beat me. We were created to be free, not to be bound. We, we are not slaves to our sin, our fear, our addiction, our habits, our family history. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. How the generational sins, and I've heard it misused as a threat. It was never designed as a threat. It's designed as a warning for the person today, not a threat of what your grandpa did. It's designed as a warning to you that the way you live and the way you walk in freedom is going to reflect to your children and your grandchildren. Let's be people who are free from sin. It's not arrogance to claim freedom, but a God-given promise that I can be free from this sin. I can be free from this addiction. I can be free from this thing that traps me, the depression, the isolation, the loneliness. I can be free from the fear. 
I can be free from all of it. That's not arrogance. That's a declaration because it's a promise he's given. And finally, freedom from sin is not easy, but it's always worth it. It's not easy because you are still human and you are still trapped in this human body, but the beauty is there's hope for tomorrow. What am I willing to sacrifice to find true freedom from sin? What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to say, I'm not going to keep doing that because I know that every time I do that, it takes me down this path? What am I willing to do? That's the question that only you can answer for yourself. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to change? Because I'll tell you right now, it becomes really easy for people to get in the habit of, I'm just going to sleep in today and not exercise. Just this once. I'm just going to skip the jog today. I'm just going to go into work 15 minutes late today. I'm not equating that to sin. I'm just saying it's a habit of lifestyle. I'm just going to do this one thing this one time. But so easily that becomes a pattern in our life. The same is true with sin. If I allow this, then it's so much easier. I see it oftentimes in people in relationship to whether or not they're going to be a part of a church. Because it takes discipline and commitment to be here on Sunday. Because a lot of you, Sunday's your only day to sleep in. You work Monday through Friday. You got soccer and baseball and everything else for the kids on Saturday. And if you don't, then you got to go watch the grandkids or you got to mow the lawn or you got to do a hundred other things around the house that added up all week. And Sunday's my day I can sleep in. I say all the time, it's not a sin to not go to church. That's not a sin. However, it does tell us in Scripture, don't forsake the gathering together of believers, which is what our very church was based on when we came together three years ago. It was about being a place where Christians can gather to be challenged, to be inspired, to have something thought-provoking, to build community that will pray with them, that will love them, that will support and serve each other. That's why we exist. And it becomes so easy to go, I'll just get to that later. I've told you before, the two greatest times people leave the church are not because they're angry, actually. The two biggest times people leave the church, they head off, they get out of high school, head off to college, and their kids leave the house. Empty nest syndrome. The two greatest times people come back to church, they have kids that are entering preschool, and they're scared to death because now they don't know what to do. It's fine when they were two, they could pick them up and move them. Now they're starting to tell me no and mean it. <laughs> so they start coming back to church because, hey, something's got to work. And then they retire and they go, oh man, I got to cram for the final exam that God's going to give me. <laughs> they're facing their own mortality, so they drift back in. That's why I say all programs in church should be aimed for two groups. Elementary school and the elderly. Those are who you should do everything for. We don't really follow those rules. We try to do things for all ages. But that's when people come back. Because it's so much easier to just skip it. But what am I willing to sacrifice if I want to find that true freedom from sin? Am I willing to commit to a group? Am I willing to put myself out there? Am I willing to do things that I'm not necessarily comfortable with? That's out of my comfort zone. But I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to participate and engage because maybe somebody else needs me. 
I've said for years, my very model of pastoring when people have asked me is, I run it like an AA meeting. One week you need me, but the next week I desperately need you. And it's the only way we get through this together. The whole concept was built around the idea that I need you and you need me. They're not leaving because of anything I said. They're going to a, they're on the field at the soccer game. Everybody was kind of looking. Have fun. <laughs> Tell JoJo to enjoy running out the opening ball. Joe Jr.'s running out the opening ball at the Sounders. For those of you just listening to this on CD, they're really confused. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, we can be free from sin, but we do this together. We're all in this together. And the moment that we think that we're on our own, that we're the maverick, that we're too busy or too cool or too whatever, the moment we do that is where we begin to either make it about us or to make it about something that it's not intended to be. I've heard many people say, I don't need to be in church to be a Christian. Nope, but you can't know God outside of community. From the very beginning, and I hate when they use this at weddings because that's not what it was intended for, but God looks and he says it's not good for man to be alone because he desires for you to be in community with other people to worship God, to celebrate who he is, to celebrate my accomplishments this week and to be prayed for when I'm struggling, to be prayed for when I'm sick, to be prayed for when I'm broken. That's the beauty of who God is. That's the beauty of the hope he offers. Scott, would you come on back up? We're going to do communion today. And the way I do communion is this. It's an open table, which means anybody is welcome to take. Jesus, on the last night that he was here on earth, is before his crucifixion, they're celebrating the Passover. And it says he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which was broken for you. And he takes the cup and he lifts it. And this is my blood, which was shed for the forgiveness, which is for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what it represents. And he looks at the people that are sitting there at the table with him, people that have walked with him for three years. And this is the night that he washed their feet when, he come, when they came in and he washes Judas's feet and he washes Peter's feet, and he washes Thomas's feet, and he washes all the disciples' feet, and the only one that's going to be at the foot of the cross with him the next day, and he already knows it, is John. So he washes the feet of a doubter, of a denier, and of a betrayer, and he never looks and he goes, you're not worthy, get over there. But he washes their feet. And then he serves at the table, and he says, come on, come and take. And who are we to say somebody's not worthy to take this? Who are you or who am I to say somebody's not worthy? It says as often as we do it, do it in remembrance of him. I invite you today to come and to take and to realize that Jesus made a sacrifice for you. You may not know what that means. You may not realize the depth of that, but you may know somewhere deep within you, man, I am a sinner and I need something. This doesn't equal our salvation. This means we recognize that I need salvation. And so I'm going to invite you to come up. Everybody's invited. If you can't come up today, or you just emotionally, physically, spiritually, you can't, 
just raise your hand. Tracy will come to you. This is gluten-free. If you need gluten-free, when you come back, she'll be in the middle. But we try to make a place and a table for everyone. So please, come and partake and understand that this is the sacrifice that he made for you and I.